We have two dogs in our home. Aria is a two-year-old puppy who definitely needs help with her portions. And Nala is a 10-year-old dog who is living a great life and we want to keep feeding her well so she can hang in there with us for a lot longer. The farmer's dog makes it easy to keep them healthy, which can give you more quality years with them. The farmer's dog makes and delivers fresh, healthy dog food. It's recommended by vets, nutritionally balanced and made from human-grade ingredients in safe, clean kitchens. It's the best option for dogs at all life stages. It doesn't matter if your dog is young or old. It's always the right time to begin investing in their health, helping you live more healthy, happy, and full years together. You can get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash vanished. Let the farmer's dog know we sent you. Use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. Hey guys, Rob here, the creepy voice guy that talks to you. Joking. No, I won't do that to you. As you know, Up and Vanish Live has been on tour for the last few months. It has been an amazing experience, meeting fans, sharing new content, and answering all your questions. If you haven't been able to make a show yet, we still have nine more left in December, so please don't miss out. We'll be hitting Nashville, Texas, the East Coast, and of course, Tenderfoot TV's hometown of Atlanta, Georgia. You'll get the chance to see Payne, along with your favorites Maurice Godwin and Philip Holloway. I'm also along for the ride as the master of ceremonies, so I'll get to meet you guys too. Today's episode will give you a taste of the tour experience. This episode is Q&A straight from the live show, featuring questions from none other than you guys. And before we get into it, I'd love to tell you a little bit about the ins and outs of the show from my perspective. As the MC, I'm the liaison between the audience and the Up and Vanish team. And it's been so cool to see such a range of cities' energy experience your culture and understand that every one of us have different questions about this case. It's an experience like none other. You're going to see things you've never seen before and, well, hear things you've never heard before. But don't just take my word for it. Come see for yourself. Now time for the Q&A. Let's get right into it. All right. So we want to bring out the doctor in the house, if that's okay, for a Q&A. The doctor of style, the doctor, Maurice Godwin. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Esquire, Philip Holloway. And our DP, Payne Lindsay. Yes, sir. Bo Duke's girlfriend? Brooke. Brooke, yeah. The, yes. It's a piece of work. Uh, so <laughs> you, you had a discussion with her, and she was kind of trying to justify the, the body thing, and you, you kind of went off on her? Sort I mean, of. I mean, you kind of your, your, your morality came through without her thing. Yeah, and, uh, it happened. That was a game changer, I think, for a lot of people, how they viewed you. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't really know that at the time. I, I genuinely thought that, like, that was okay. Yeah. And I still feel it was okay. So okay. <laughs> that's how I feel, honestly. Okay. But my question is, yep. is throughout this whole process, is there any kind of legal way that we can like make this woman pay for? Because she was involved. I mean, she knew what was going on. I mean, she, 
I know it's Georgia. I mean, that's... You know. I mean... What do you mean, pay for it? She may actually get the reward. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Yeah, that's... Maybe. Yeah. I think that, um... I mean, I say a lot of things right now. Um, she's probably already paying for it, to be honest with you. I don't think she's... Living with Bo, person. yeah. So... Well, yeah, okay. okay. Thank you, sir. We appreciate that. Yes, ma'am. Um, what was the relevancy of the police uniform that was found? Like, why did you choose to include that in the podcast? Um, that's a good question. Because I didn't know if it had any relevancy at all. I just thought that it was ironic that there would be a uniform there that would match the same department that uh, had allegedly covered up uh, this crime 10 years prior I couldn't ever link exactly how that would make any sense, but all I knew was that this was a complete improper way to dispose of a uniform and that some people felt that this was important and they, for a long time, never gave me any proof that it actually happened. And so when I found out it did happen, I was like, I... I mean, I made it clear. I was like, this is, uh, I don't know what this has to do with anything, but I thought it was weird and maybe it it links to something, but I more, I more so wanted to just show you guys and also that department, the sheriff's department that everything is coming out. So, you know, whether it's just this, uh, uniform you disposed of improperly or a murder you forgot to report on 12 years ago, either it's all coming out. Basically. Yeah. Thank you for your question. Yes, ma'am. Hi. um, When you interviewed Brooke, it seemed like she knew more than she was telling you. And one of the things that she said was she mentioned her car instead of his car when she sort of slipped up. Um, And it seemed like she might have almost been mentioning Tara's car as a car that was used during this crime. Did you ever press her on that? She would uh, always just dance around that after I talked to her. And that was kind of towards that call in particular was towards the end of our, when we were friendly, I guess. (laughs) Um, We were always friendly, but it kind of hit a point where she just uh, just didn't want to talk to me as much anymore. Um, That was around that period of time. Uh, So I I pressed it on her, but she was... uh, more concerned about other things. And it was very clear to me that after hours and hours of mainly just hearing her talk to me, um, that she was more or less trying to uh, get her objective across and she had her own agenda of sorts, uh, just maybe in the sense of just influencing me and how I felt about things. But uh, I think that it, it all came from... A, a genuinely good place. Uh, I think that she really just was in love with this person who is a bad person and that, you know, which makes it kind of sad really. But, um, you know, it came across to me as insulting and that's why I reacted the way that I did. And if I can follow up on that, just, just for a second, you know, what's interesting about this entire conversation that Payne had with, with Brooke, earlier this year that was in the podcast, never once did she mention that he had been interviewed by the GBI in June of last year and that he was accused of lying to them. 
Never once did she mention that. So is it that she knew about it and didn't and chose not to mention it, or she just maybe she was not informed, or maybe she was lied to by her boyfriend? I don't know, but it's very interesting that she didn't mention that at all. Yeah, there's too many stories. Like I said, there's too many stories that there should be one story. That's that's it. If one thing happened that is true, that is the story. Why are they all different stories? And you know, right? Someone's lying. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. I feel like I have 35 questions, but I'll try and like condense it to one. But so I guess I want to know your theories of what exactly happened after she left the barbecue, because I feel like there are bits and pieces sprinkled in and the GBI says, or is charging Ryan with robbery, but she had mud on the car and she had think told your grandma's best friend she was going to a party in Fitzgerald later that night after the pageant. So do you have any idea, like, did she, do you think she went out there and partied with them and something happened there? Or do you really think that they just broke into her house? No. Um, I go back and forth on it. I don't think that they just broke into her house one time and that's what happened. I think there, there is a circumstance that we do not know yet. We could possibly think of it together right now and not know if it's the true one or not. But there's a, the, a circumstance that happened that we don't know about. And just for example... Uh, she could have left the the barbecue and went to her house. And, and me and Maurice just found this out recently. There, there's a, a house down the street. Well, actually, across, across the street from her mailbox. Right. And th- th- these guys at this house used to have parties, and Bo and Ryan would attend them, That's right. right? And so, like, let's just say in theory that there is some sort of crossing paths that happens that has no record of it. There's no text or phone call or anything. That's what had to have happened. Either that happened or what they're saying actually happened. And someone just all of a sudden left wherever they were and decided to go to Tara's house and murder her and go take her body and hide it and just get rid of everything. What we all happened or they crossed paths. uh, Yeah. What we all agree on, um, even if it's not what may have happened. We all agree that uh, they didn't, this was not a robbery or a burglary, actually, that went bad. This kind of burglary just doesn't happen in Osceola, Georgia. It's not like you just come home and some burglars in your house and they decide they're going to kill you because you this just doesn't happen in Irwin County or Osceola, Georgia. It, maybe it happens in Atlanta, Georgia, where we live or San Francisco, but it, it doesn't happen. It, it doesn't happen in Irwin County and Osceola, Georgia. So I think we are all three united in the sense that we don't believe that this narrative that we've been given through the arrest warrants and the indictments, that this was just some kind of a burglary gone wrong. Yeah, we're not buying that. Not at all. I will say this. I think that not, there's, there's more than one, there's more than Bo and Ryan that know what happened to Tara. I, I believe that for sure. And I'm not talking about just the police. I'm talking about somebody else. I think that there's another person who's friends with them who also knows what happened. And so we just got to figure out what that scenario was. That'll solve everything. Yeah. So thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Hi, I just have a really quick question. So you said that um, Bo has recently been accused of uh, four things, but that document that was up there only had three. What was the fourth thing that he was accused of? You would ask me that now that I've left that back in the green room. (laughs) 
But basically, he was charged with four counts uh, of basically concealing the death of another person and lying to the police officers, uh, specifically uh, Agent Shadell of the Georgia GBI. And he was he was alleged to have done so in alternative ways. And it's a four-count indictment, but, but on page one, which really doesn't legally count, uh, it just shows the three. And it's not really operative, that first page, if he were to stand trial on that indictment, he would stand trial on all four charges. But the way that the, the way that those charges are worded, it uses a lot of double negatives, and it's really difficult to understand. And it doesn't exactly, in my opinion, put him on notice of exactly what he's accused of doing. So there's problems, in my opinion, with the second indictment. But I believe that the second indictment is based on a problem with the first indictment, which is based on a statute of limitations issue, because I know for a fact that the Irwin County Sheriff's Office went out in 2005 or early 2006, and they they went out to that search. They, they, they did a search of that orchard, and they did it based on a tip, and it had most of this information in it. So I think that the second indictment is probably designed to cure statute of limitations problems with the first. Thank you. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Good. How you doing? I'm a huge fan of the show. My coworkers actually got me hooked, and I've gotten 10 people hooked. So Awesome. It's like the butterfly effect. Um, so I have, can I ask two quick questions? Or yeah, go for it. Okay. First question, did you slip up and say that they found Tara's remains? Mm-hmm. So I, I've said it a couple times, and I, I, I actually slipped up the podcast. <gasps> I'm basically just going off of inside sources telling me that they've, they have found them. Officially, they haven't said if they have found them or not. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm sure that they have found them. Yeah, that so, makes sense. So, something that cooperates the story. Okay, that's something that just hit me. I was like, that's fine. Yeah. Um, and the next question is from my coworker Jessica. She would like to know if you think the house on Snapdragon has anything to do with anything, or was that just another white rabbit? 
White Rabbit. Yeah. Yep. It's a crazy story. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Trust me, I, I didn't just decide that one day. I know. I looked and was like, are you sure? I know. It's, it's just not. That's crazy. It's just, just super weird. I think, this, I, mean, I think that the circumstances of the burning was weird. I think someone was, you know, it was a, a weird fire that shouldn't have happened, yeah. but not for that reason. Awesome. So. Cool. Appreciate it. Love you all. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, how y'all doing not? Good. Hi, I flew in from Missouri to come to the show. Really? That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Dedication. (laughs) Um, So I know y'all aren't allowed to know what the GBI knows. However, I would like to know if you think that maybe Bo the Psycho, how that rhymes, if he has anything of Tara's that he has kept, like those chandelier earrings that were... MIA, nobody knew where they were. Do you think that they have found something? Do they have a search warrant to, you know, go through the house and see if he kept something? Because if you would do something like that, you would keep it, right? You all know what I mean? Yeah, it's called, tro- it's called uh, uh, trophy. A uh, trophy, right. Yeah. Have you all heard anything like that? I've never heard that before, but, I mean, that makes sense. I don't know if, there, if there's anything. I, I would probably doubt that there is anything i think that just the story is so weird and the gbi finally realized that this may not make sense we're going off of one guy's testimony who is also a criminal also a liar and we haven't heard what the other guy said yet so there may be there there probably there could be lots of things that we don't know there probably is but i don't think they're damning enough to where, you know, it's Ryan Duke did it or Bo Duke did it. If it was, then it wouldn't be happening the way it is right now. And there wouldn't be a gag order I, either. I will say that um, Bo um, is really has a fantasy life, sexual fantasy life. So uh, the keeping of a trophy is for a psychological reflection so he could reflect back on that event with Tara. So I wouldn't put it out of the... The realm I, of possibility. I would say that there was probably something that he has that he has but kept. We just don't know what it was. Yeah. Yeah, could be. But thank you so All much right, for your thank question. Thank y'all. Yes, and you. I've been listening to the podcast again in preparation for tonight. I've been so excited. Nice. <laughs> um, and my question is, I've been listening to episode six, which I'll replay it in episode seven, and listening to um, the part where the neighbors said that they saw Tara's car was gone that night, and also the man who committed suicide said that he was on a dirt road and he encountered more than one individual, and then like there was a black woman with them, and then they like carved initials and the DNA and stuff. And so I'm wondering if y'all think that Tara might have left the house willingly, like with Bo and Duke, and um, you know I don't know if like their cell phones had any record of them communicating beforehand, <laughs> and you know if you think that they murdered. That's occurred. actually yeah, that's a good question. Can I take that? Sorry, <laughs> let me rambling. let me talk to him for a second. You told me recently about someone you talked to. This is all brand new stuff. Sorry. <laughs> the idea about the house across the street from Tara's, right? Correct. And that, that was a place that there were parties thrown. Correct. And that Bo and Ryan could have likely been there on that night? Uh, visiting, yes. They, the people in that house knew Bo and Ryan. So my thing is that... The most confusing part to me this whole time was 
how, why, how does it happen where Ryan's all the way over and wherever he is, that's, that's clearly further away than it should be, and in a drunk state, drives to Tara's house on a whim and kills her, and somehow, even though he's so messed up, just hides all of the evidence. It makes very little sense. Now, it's possible, yes, anything's possible, but what's likely? What's likely is that you bump into that person. Something inspires that. Mm -hmm. If they're leaving a party Mm -hmm. and she's pulling in from the barbecue about the same time and no one sees anything because it's Osceola and it's small streets and there's no street lights, then maybe Mm -hmm. that's how it happened. Bottom line is the story that they're telling, that Bo's telling, cannot be true. GBI is finally realizing that. But that's pretty much all I have on that. That's where my mind was going to. You're with me on that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Hey, guys. I have no doubt that this case wouldn't be where it was if y'all hadn't shaken some trees and talking to some people. And I'm from South Georgia, and I know how stories get thrown around, and I would know about these accents and whatnot. Thank you. However, here's my question, and this has been bothering me since the beginning. I feel a little bit of a guilty feeling for watching this and listening to this. How do Tara's parents feel about this whole thing? I... You know, I I don't feel bad about what you've said and what you've done and what everybody's done, but I feel a little bit bad about looking at it as it's entertainment because it's really not. It's it's a bad thing. And I've you know I've known some 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 people from Osceola and from Fitzgerald, and I you know it it's a terrible thing to have to a small town. It, It it is a it's taken the innocence from a small country town where people have lived all their lives, they know everybody, and then something like that happens, and it's just, it, it changes everybody's life. Yeah, and I, and I witnessed that firsthand when I, when I met, you know, what seemed like 80%, 90% of the town. I mean, it's a sad story. I mean, how did Tara's parents feel about it? I don't really know. All, all I can go off of is Would they not what they talk said in the press you? conference. They don't want to talk to anybody in media at all. I, my direct line of communication with Tara's parents is through the police chief, Billy Hancock in Osceola. And very early on, I said, can you, do you know Tara's parents? He said, yes. I was like, can you please connect us? And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll tell them what you're doing and you know, I'll, I'll tell you what they say. And he reached out to them and said, look, they said, we support anybody who wants to find out what happened to our daughter. But we are, we are so over talking to media and this and that. We just don't want to do it anymore. But we'll support anybody who wants to keep her story alive. So tell him that we support him. And Dr. And Godwin, they wouldn't talk to you either? Who's that? Her parents. Well, her mother. Her, yeah, I, I interviewed her mother. Her mother died in 08. But I interviewed her in 06. And but her stepmother and her father never had really that much interaction and because Anita is the one that brought me into the case. I would say probably 2009, 2010, that went backwards a lot. But then in 015, when we did the, um, the Greta Van Susteren show in D.C., she was nice, very nice to me. She did request to be present during my interview, and they, they asked my permission. I said, yeah, she can be there. But here, here is the thing. In 2015, hardly anybody outside of Osceola knew about this case. 
Now, you got people in Arkansas and California arguing over the you know, table at a restaurant about the details of it. <laughs> a big difference, right? I totally agree with that. If y'all hadn't shaken some trees, nothing would have ever happened. I do agree with that. Yes, Yeah, sir. and it's not, it's not pretty. There's no pretty way to do it. We're uncovering something that's, that's ugly. And, you know, we didn't make it ugly. Whoever's responsible did. But I, exactly. I really appreciate your question. That was a good Thank one. You. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. Hey, um, my name is Hannah Rucker, and my mom actually taught with Tara, and she actually taught Bo and remembers him. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, she said he was a jerk back then, too. Um, <laughs> but she actually is unable to be here, so she sent me a question to ask. Perfect. Um, she said, everyone involved in this is trying to tell their own narrative. Payne, Maurice, Phil, Bo, etc. I assume Ryan has his own version as well. But who is going to tell Tara's narrative? Who is her voice? That's a good question, and all I can say is that the only voice that she has right now, in my opinion, because like I made a point in the very beginning, is that it was strange that no one close to Tara would talk about who Tara really was. It wasn't that pain or you or you wouldn't talk about who Tara really was. We don't know. We didn't know who Tara really was. It was that those who were actually closest to her wouldn't talk about who she really was. To me, who's told me about Tara is her best friend Maria, her ex-boyfriend Marcus Harper, and Marcus Harper's mom. And they have told me countless stories, and we've had just very intimate, just moments talking to each other, and it's been just completely surreal. And they, to me, have painted the picture of who Tara was not all of it made it in the podcast because not all they didn't want all of it in the podcast. It was people crying and uncomfortable things. But it's a shame that not enough people did come forward and say, this is who Tara was, let me tell you. I think that's also a reason why this took 10 plus years to solve. Well, let me say that over 11 years, I knew Tara pretty well. I viewed her almost as my daughter. I mean, I lived this case, dreamed this case, uh, not married this case, and when I was in her house, I was in her house for two weeks off and on. The first time I was in there, the first 30 minutes, the biggest storm came. I mean, the, the rain and the wind on top of that roof. So I just sat down in, on her couch, just sat there, and I felt her presence. Going through all her dresser drawers, all her personal stuff and everything, I felt Tara, and she is still with me today. Um, and, but there's some resolution uh, coming forward, and um, I'm, I'm glad of that. I agree. Thank you so much. Hi. Hey. Um, my question actually kind of connects with what Uncle Maurice was saying. In Is he Uncle Maurice? Was, not really Uncle. Uncle. We're a big fan. We love him. But um, <laughs> I like that. Where do you think the crime actually occurred? Do you think it occurred at Tara's home? You were there. I just feel like they're kind of dumb for the crime scene to be so clean. No offense, but... Well, Payne, and I, Payne and I actually disagree on this somewhat, but um, I think it occurred in her bedroom. You did? Yeah. Multiple I just feel like there was a big I think the initial, evidence. I think the initial approach and, and uh, gaining control of her took place in her bedroom. What about the dog being in the backyard and the seat being back? Well, uh, Dolly was the inside dog when she was right. home. 
So being outside, no deal. But you don't think she would have let her in if she was in her bed at the time? Well, that's a good question. I know, right? And that, and that's, and that's. I know, the, right? Okay, uh, but, unless, unless yeah. she was gained control over early, and she didn't have that time to do that. But it said that she was in her bed and she had her clothes. Well, I don't, changed. I don't, I don't believe she was sleeping because she had the earrings on. Who's going to go to bed with chandelier long earrings on? I just. There's probably it happens, people but in here. D- Tara also didn't drink with my so. chandelier earrings on, but um. I do wonder if she was at the maybe the orchard. Maybe she was lying and said that she was going to see a video. She wanted to be a little. I mean, I'm not saying anything bad against Tara, but if I was trying to all be those shady, things I'm are possible, and, and I've said that before, and it's all the it's all it's all possible. And be, some of those things make more sense than what they're saying. Opinion? It just oh my, it just it drives me crazy. Honestly, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly think that I always thought that it was just too weird for them to go meet somewhere weird or somewhere else out of the norm. I thought it had to be a happen chance thing where they just, someone saw her right. coming home and no one else saw them see each other. No one knows they saw each other. And that's why it's an unsolved murder because yeah. they're nowhere. This person left this person. This person left here. They left here. No one knows where they were there. Right. Now it's unsolved murder. Okay. That's thank how it happened. Thank I think. you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Was the suicidal man in the list of twelve or in the photo in the back of the truck? Do we have his identity? Um, and do we know when the suicide occurred? And um, what was the age of this child that saw Tara's body burning? Okay. So you you asked the. If the suicide story is real, is what you said? Or? Not if it's real. I, the identity of the man... Do we that, know who it is? Yes, we know who it is. Okay. And yes. how old was the child Who's, who can So he said kid, Yeah. which is weird. Yeah. It wasn't really a kid. It was like a kid on drugs who would say something like, I saw that girl burned up down there. Who says okay. that? That's like either a guy on drugs or a kid who's... You know what I'm saying? So I think that I clarified that. I was like, "That? what do you mean kid? So basically the same age as the guy who, who committed suicide, same age as Ryan and Bo. Okay. Thank you. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. First and foremost, everyone up on the stage right now, thank you so much for an an amazing uh, podcast. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, man. Thank you. I guess this is a question for Payne. but all of you could uh, answer. But 
We know, we know that uh, Tara went to the beauty pageant on that Saturday. We know that she went to the barbecue. Um, what is your personal theory, sir, about what happened after she left that barbecue between that and her uh, untimely death? Um, to not sound super vague, I think that she, um, she went back home, and at some point she crossed paths with... Um, some people. And I think it was not just one person. I don't think it was just Ryan. I think Ryan was there or was there at some point. Um, but they crossed paths and her night changed and no one could have predicted where she went or what happened because it was out of the ordinary for her. And there was just this weird moment in time where she happened to be here getting out of the car and someone happened to see her there and there's no cell phone record of it. There's no text message saying, hey, let's meet up here. This just never happened. But there was this moment where no one saw anything, but they crossed paths. And um, I think the night just went sour. Something bad happened. Um, whether that was intentional or not, I don't know. But, um, you know, somebody killed her that night. And well, saw I think what, it, what did not happen, to answer your question sort of in reverse, what did not happen, in my opinion, is the narrative that we've been given, but, well, because it's a gag order, they can't really say you know what they think happened, but you've got these arrest warrants, you've got these numerous indictments now, and the narrative takes shape that this was a burglary gone bad, and I think that all of us up here on stage agree that that's not what happened. I can tell you that those kinds of burglaries in Osceola, Georgia, just don't happen. So this was not some garden variety burglary gone bad where the homeowner comes home, finds someone burglarizing their house, and then there's a struggle and somebody dies. I don't believe for one minute that that's what happened. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks, sir. Part of yours, sir. Oh, my goodness. Hey, I know sir. this guy. I've worked with this guy a lot, actually. He makes really good films. His name you know is this Jay, guy? Jay Schuster. Look nice. him up. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Um, I've actually got a production question for you, Payne. How did you keep track of all this information that you're getting? You're not a detective. How did you, well, you aren't now, but how did you uh, process all this information without losing your mind? Um, that's a really good question. I'd, I'd lost my mind. Um, <laughs> he, picked up, he picked up crazy from me. <laughs> I don't, I mean, really, that was the, that was the thing. That's, you get it. That was it. It was this balance of how do I stay sane or, you know, have friends when I'm done with this. Um, <laughs> that was it. Uh, and you just had to be on it all the time. You had to just really just be talking about it all the time. You couldn't ever let it go for too long because you had to take this piece of information. You have to remember stuff. And I'm, I'm super bad with people's names. I mean, I really am. But I became really good at people's names because I, I had to. I could no longer not remember somebody's name. And I didn't remember exactly what the name was, you know, and wh who that person was. So it just, um, it consumed my life. It just had to. There's, there's no other way to do it. You don't, you don't do this on the side. You just, you either do this all the way or you don't. And that was pretty much what I did. And it was, uh, it consumed me, but it was, um, you know, I enjoyed a lot of it. It was very stressful at times. And it was, um, you know, just... I didn't. I never knew what to expect, and going to, into the unknown, and 
you know, towards the end, people were getting mad at me for all kinds of stuff. And it's just, it's, it's hard to, to deal with this sensitive issue and then also be the guy spearheading this, you know, the truth in this story and, you know, maintaining these relationships. But you just got to live and learn, man. That's literally all I did. And I'll just, I'll just do it again and try to do better next time. So, but, um, yeah. But the consuming part, it did me too. But it manifests itself differently with him and different people. For me, it was depression. See? And so, um, and it definitely had a role in that. Cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I did take a bunch of notes, though. I have like, t- I'm have like thousands of just text edits on my MacBook that are just thoughts or whatever. So, like, I'm always writing stuff down and I try to keep it organized, but it was, it's confusing. But I did make a serious attempt to try to make sense of the nonsense. So, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, man. You're in a very liberal neighborhood. I've lived here for 15 years, and, um, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to go to a church nearby and not find, like, a Black Lives Matter uh, sign out front or, you know, uh, welcome Muslim brothers and sisters, things like that. So I um, want to represent my neighborhood, and I want to ask you guys about, um, in your process, um, how can I phrase it? I've been trying to figure out how to phrase this good. Um, with the missing white woman syndrome, um, how do you see your, uh, obviously every missing person's case is equally as important, no matter what. Right. But um, how do you see your role as people who are now in a position of momentum? And is it, you know, how do you see, do you see yourself as having a certain responsibility towards addressing this issue? Uh, What's your relationship to that? And how does it, um, you know, affect the choices that you will make in the future with this uh, path you've taken? It affects everything. Um, I I didn't plan on becoming this person, but it doesn't matter. I, I am now. So I have a responsibility to a certain degree. And, you know, we've put a lot of thought into season two and how we want to treat it. And um, not just with the actual case that we're looking into, but other cases, too. And highlighting, um, you know, in the beginning, first, like, minute of the episode each week, highlighting a case that has never got a spotlight before. Because we had that spotlight, just things that we can do to contribute um, because that's, you know, because we do cover unsolved disappearances, what else can we do to help other people out? Obviously, we can't solve every mystery in the world. That'd be awesome, but it's just not possible. But what can we do with this outlet that we have to, you know, make the world a better place and, you know, utilize this as a tool for for the greater good? So we have a lot of focus on how to make that better and just be able to expand what we're doing and um, help more people. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where we're focused at. You know, we're always going to try to tell a good story, but we also want to affect the real world. And like you said, there's a lot of cases out there. They're not all missing white women. Um, there's a lot of different people who are missing, and they all deserve the same sort of, um, you know, uh, reporting and um, spotlight that Tara Grinstead got. And, you know, we'd love to contribute to that if we can in any sort of way. Of course. Yeah. Um, Maurice or Philip, do you guys have anything to add to that? Sure. Uh, I think that the circumstances with Tara Grinstead, you know, it was sort of the perfect storm of things that created this giant mystery around her particular disappearance. And it had nothing to do with her 
gender or her race or anything like that. It was just no, that all no, of the, I don't think that at all. I think all the circumstances surrounding it is what made it so captivating to everybody. And for someone like her to literally, and I don't mean to be a pun, but just to up and vanish uh, was just something that was mind-blowing because she was such a popular person in the local community and, and in a community where everybody knows everybody, it, it made it so much more compelling. So I, yeah, I didn't choose the case. Obviously, that was somebody else's decision, but that is what makes that this particular case, the terror case, so damn amazing and compelling that it was worthy of the podcast. I completely agree. I loved it. And I just want to say, it, my, my question wasn't so much about how this case beca- got chosen, but how you see your role in the future of cases that you choose. All these people. By the way, so glad that you're covering Atlanta all, Murders. So excited about that. Like, really good choice. Actually, I, unlike others on the stage uh, who will not be named, I remember when all this happened. I was <laughs> a juvenile, but I remember it. But yes, I'm glad that that's getting some attention too. Thank you so much. Hey, gentlemen. Uh, I'm Jenny. Thank you so much for putting your heart and soul into this podcast. We could really Thank feel you. it. Appreciate it. Thank um, you. I want to know, I'm so curious. So obviously we know Bo was very active on the discussion boards and especially on Twitter, that lengthy conversation he had with that woman. So does the gag order not apply to Bo or did he just blatantly disregard it? He just doesn't care. Um, well, <laughs> it, it does apply to him now. Interestingly, his attorney... Um, acquiesced in the DAs and everybody's well. Let's, I mean, let me back up. I'm not going to explicitly say it was. He the just DA's wants request, to j- talk his, his so bad about it that he just and even can't though, keep his mouth shut. Yeah, even much. though it's the state of Georgia versus you know Ryan Alexander Duke, it doesn't say uh, as co-defendant with Bo Dukes. But nevertheless, his lawyer acquiesced in having the gag order apply to him. And so, yeah, it does apply to him. And interestingly enough, though, the gag order technically does not apply to the indictments against Bo in either Ben Hill County, Georgia, which is Fitzgerald, or Wilcox County, which is the most recent indictment that came out in August of this year. So Judge Melanie Cross, who I went to high school with in the interest of full disclosure, was in the band with. She was, I think, a flag girl or something. But, uh, <laughs> Whoa. But, uh, no. So, you know, she entered this gag order, and it's, it's only in the, in the state of Georgia versus Ryan Duke. And she has no authority because she's not a judge in Wilcox County or Ben Hill County, Georgia, to enter a gag order in either of those two cases, and there's not a gag order in either of those two cases. He just liked the attention. That's pretty much it. Thank you for your question. Thank you. We appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks. Um, My name's Colin. First off, thanks all you guys for your work. It wouldn't be what it is without your voice, y'all's work, and your expertise. So thank you, first off. Second thing, I got midterms tomorrow, but definitely better option being here. (laughs) (laughs) This is way more important. Exactly. Um, That's awesome. And so this is kind of for everybody, but mostly for Maurice and Payne. Um, How do you really filter out what you consider nonsense versus what you take seriously? Like, for example, the concrete slab versus, say, uh, the house on Snapdragon. Um, There's no, I mean, for me, there's no just 
science to it where it breaks down the same every single time. It doesn't have these particular factors and all of a sudden goes in this pile. Um, you know, there's some of those things, but at the end of the day, when you make the executive decision to put this in the podcast or not, or to talk about it, it's more of a, a moral thing and just being in it, man. If you're just, if you're in it and you're really doing this, I'm not sitting back just, you know, pressing buttons and just trying to make some crazy story. I'm trying to manipulate the real world into squeezing the truth out. So like, what is going to be the thing that gets the truth? What, what is the combination of all this mess that's going to be the most likely to succeed. So it's like anything else in life. It's, you know, you just weigh all the pros and cons and at the end of the day, you got to make your own decision and then you got to stand behind it. And so that's what I had to deal with. But hey, I'm ready to do it again. It's it's all about, you know, just keep your head on straight and just really, if you're in it and you're feeling it, you know, chances are going to make, you'll make the right decision. Just weigh all the options and just, there was times when I called you and said, should I do this? And you were like, no. <laughs> I was like, but, but listen, let, let me tell you. <laughs> I can tell you a lot of the information that I gave him, yeah. and I'm sure he probably did this with his own information, is that he vetted it. He needed at least two sources that basically were saying the same thing yeah. before he used it. Got it. Yep. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Good Thanks for tomorrow. being here <laughs> before midterms. That's crazy. Hi there. Um, I'm curious who you guys thought did it before Bo and Ryan were arrested. Because I, I thought it was Heath, but I think a lot of people thought it was Marcus. Or did you think it was totally well, someone different? Well, we had moved way on from Harper. And, um, and he had moved on from uh, Dykes. Uh, Dykes was still on my radar. Because he did, I mean, but... We were actually working on a number of former students that nobody knows about. Not, not um, Vickers, uh, but other former students. We were trying to get a wreck report. A guy was killed in November of 06. He was good friends of Tara. So we, we were trying to uh, look at students. We just didn't get uh, enough of those, you know, a couple of sources to back some of the stuff up to, to put it out on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, no one had been all the way ruled out yet. Um, I was still looking at everybody. It was driving me crazy, though. And there was something about it. It just, it just didn't make sense. It was trying to force it to make it work. And it made sense that there was somebody not on our radar that may have done something because we had tried every combination of things. And, you know, you just can't force it. But, um, you know, there were some other small bits of information that are meaningless now, but, you know, made me think that this person may have done it or this person may have done it. But, um, you know, I, I never really did feel strongly about one particular person. I just thought there was oddities about a lot of people and unexplained circumstances and questions that were left unanswered. But I was never opposed to the idea that someone I've never heard of was responsible for this. And you hadn't heard Bo and Ryan's names, right? No, I never heard their names. Mm -mm. Although uh, Ryan's, I'd never heard of neither. Although Ryan's girlfriend emailed me in 2007. His girlfriend that was in 05, she emailed me in 2007. 
It's a small world. So, I mean, all these but people, these, mention, these she students. She didn't mention their name. In fact, she didn't really tell me anything because she said she was scared for herself and her newborn child. And um, I responded once, and then it faded. I still have the emails. And I, four or five months ago, brought that up to her. And she said, I said, what did you want to tell me? She claims nothing. So That's weird. Thank you for your question. Thank you. you waited so patiently. We'll get you on this side, too. Thanks so much. My question dates way back to, I don't know, one of the first couple of episodes. Okay. Uh, somebody claimed that uh, Tara or some female had made a phone call at night screaming for help. And I think that was never, uh, there was never a resolution to that. You're talking about Anthony Could Vickers, uh, former student who said that he got like, a weird call days later, sounded like Tara on the phone, some like girl and, and help. Yeah. Um, so he said that he gave that to the GBI and they looked into it and it went to some sort of landline to this drug house or something. Some really weird, convoluted story, but apparently it never checked out. Um, but he swore up and down that it sounded so much like Tara. But th then again, you know, Tara was missing and he, you know, it was a woman who was screaming for help. It's it's odd, no matter what. But um, I don't think that it was Tara uh, that day. But the only the only ever like explanation he got was that there was some sort of drug house that was a stash house, and there was some girl there. It just the story didn't even make sense. But this is what the GBI told him as an explanation for that call. Thanks for listening, guys. To reiterate, the cities we're visiting in December are as follows. Austin, Dallas, Houston, Nashville, New York, Boston, D.C., and Atlanta. We seriously can't wait to meet you guys. See you soon. Thanks for listening, guys. Today's episode was mixed and mastered by Resonate Recordings. If you want to improve the quality of your podcast or start a podcast of your own, go to ResonateRecordings.com and get your first episode produced for free. Thanks, guys. I'll see you soon.